Word Radio On Demand, 96.1 FM and 900 AM WURD. Streaming live at wordradio.com. Boy, I got to tell you, I know people love reality TV, but the reality that was going on last week in the Fonnie Willis hearing, that was some must-see TV. And we are talking to someone today who was actually in the courtroom while the proceedings were going on. Her name is Tamara Holloman, and she is the senior reporter at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. She's going to give us a sense of what was really going on, both what we saw and maybe what we didn't see. Good morning, Tamara. How are you? Hey, Tanya. Reality TV felt like the perfect term for these hearings last week. It's certainly some of the most memorable courtroom proceedings I've ever covered in my lifetime. I am trying to figure out who is going to get to this first. Is it going to be Lifetime? Is it going to be Tyler Perry? Is it going to be Netflix? Because, I mean, we had a cast of characters. We had drama. We had so many things going on. But in your mind, what did you find the most compelling? And where do you think that this is all heading? Well, I have no idea where this is heading, Tanya. I've learned in three years covering this case, there are twists and turns that I've just been so shell-shocked sometimes about where this case has been going, and I never expected we were going to end up here. Um, Thursday was the most compelling day, and it started out with testimony from a woman named Robin Yurdy, and she was a former close friend of DA Willis's, and she offered testimony that contradicted what we'd heard from the DA's office about when the relationship between DA Fonnie Willis and Nathan Wade started. Um, She said she saw them kissing and hugging and being affectionate as early as 2019, which is against what the DA had said that their relationship had started in 2022. Mm -hmm. Um, I thought that was going to be the the big moment that would uh, perhaps sink it all for the DA. But then immediately after that, Nathan Wade took the stand upheld his story, said 2022. The DA came right after that with very emotional um, testimony where she also stuck to that timeline. So at this point, it's starting to feel like her word, Nathan Wade's word against Robin Yurtis. And it's going to be up to the judge to decide who's more compelling. And Robin Yurti was, in fact, uh, employed by the DA's office until she was fired. So we may think that Yurti could have uh, an axe to grind. And that is why her testimony has turned out that way. Um, and we should back up just a little bit and say that this is all stemming from the Georgia election fraud trial uh, of the 19 defendants now down to 15 that are uh, accused of conspiring to take the Georgia election results away from President Joe Biden. So this this is the trial that you've been working on for the last three years. And it all seemed to be uh, going very well for the DA's office as four four defendants pled guilty until one of the defendant's attorneys uh, found out about this divorce case uh, of Nathan Wade's. And that is how it all came out that he and Fonnie Willis were having an uh, extramarital on his part relationship and a personal relationship that went beyond uh, the uh, job that they were doing. So given all of that, what this hearing was looking to do is to determine whether or not this relationship uh, gave them a reason to prosecute the case and profit from it. Uh, What does it feel like we found out about that at this point? 
Exactly, Tanya. In and of itself, dating a coworker, it looks bad, but it doesn't necessarily equal, you know, having an entire office disqualified from the case. But what this defendant was arguing was not only were they dating secretly, but that the DA was benefiting financially from this relationship she had with this special prosecutor, who, by the way, was paid by the hour for his work on the case. This defendant alleged that she was enriching herself off this prosecution. And he pointed to trips that Nathan Wade uh, took her on to places like Napa Valley, the Caribbean cruises they, they took. And they provided um, credit card statements, things like that, that showed Nathan Wade spent upwards of $16,000 on the DA on these trips. So a lot of the hearing on Thursday and Friday was trying to determine, did the DA pay him back? Just how balanced was this? Because the DA in her response was saying, no, we we roughly divvied things up equally. I did not have any financial benefit. Now, she was saying, I paid him back in cash. I do a lot of things in cash. And defense attorneys were really pressing her on this and, and kind of raising questions about why she would do this. It's so much money, you know, to pay back thousands of dollars. But there, uh, you know, she talked about her dad teaching her early on that women especially should have cash lying around just in case there was a man who might mistreated her that she might need to run. And on Friday morning, her father took the stand and even talked about it. He says, I don't mean to be racist, but black folks keep money in their house. This is something we do. And especially generationally, older folks do this a lot more too. So I think it definitely countered a lot of the claims being made by these defendants, and it's going to be up to the judge to decide how credible that is and if it's enough to show that she indeed did not have a financial benefit from this case. Well, the interesting thing, too, was that Fonnie Willis and Nathan Wade seemed to be very uh, in uh, agreement on the fact that Fonnie wanted to reimburse him for these various trips because she felt that as an independent black woman, she did not want to be seen as this man paying her way, that she earned her own money. And he, in fact, said that it was a point of contention between them. So I thought that was interesting. The other thing is that if most of these these trips were taken after 2020, is that not the or after 2022, is that not the case? Yeah, 2022 and 2023. So the case had already been launched. Nathan Wade had already been working on that case since November of 2021. Um, and by the way, they they acknowledged that they had broken up right before the indictment went, the indictment was announced. But one of the more personal statements made by the DA uh, early on when she was on the stand, she was very fired up. You could see how yeah. frustrated and angry she was that. The situation was where it was. She called the defense attorney who brought a lot of these allegations a liar. But she talked about how the media circus that's resulted has actually brought her and Nathan Wade closer as friends. And that we'll probably be friends our entire lives because of how you brought this into the public forefront. Right. And this is Ashley Merchant, who has been uh, Mark Roman's uh, attorney, who has been firing pointed questions for the most part, or at least in the Thursday hearing at Fonnie Willis. And, you know, at one point I thought they were just going to say, you know, uh, when did you guys first have sex? Where? What time? What were you watching when it happened? I mean, the, the questions did become extremely invasive at a certain point, And Fonnie certainly reacted to that. But did she hurt herself, do you think, with the emotion of her testimony? 
That, I don't know. You, you, There was plenty of chatter online about how professional that was, but I would argue that she was pretty compelling. You could see why she was angry, of course, because all those personal details were coming out. But I think the fact that she stuck to this timeline uh, that Nathan Wade had mentioned, he, he laid it out in, an, in a sworn affidavit in some court documents. And the fact that she stuck to that timeline, not only that, that her father came to testify and also stuck to that timeline, I think was pretty compelling. Um, and so at this point, the judge is going to need to decide if Robin Yerti's uh, word is going to be enough to counteract that. Because if the DA is, if it's determined that the DA or Nathan Wade lied in a court document as prosecutors, that would be extremely bad. At this point, it's feeling like it's Robin Yerti's word against everyone else. There's question about whether we'll have another witness, Terrence Bradley, who was a former law partner of Nathan Wade, who briefly represented him in his divorce filings. If he has to come testify, um, he apparently has information to, to show otherwise. That's what Ashley Merchant is saying. Um, then having two people's word against everyone else, that could really change the game. But right now, it's it's all up to the judge. And he really did not give any indication about how he might rule coming up. So Bradley is really the interesting person that this uh, particular case, I guess we're calling it, or hearing, would turn on because he was Nathan Wade's former law partner and also had some involvement or represented him in his divorce case. And the divorce case seems to be the precipitating moment here that broke all of this into the open because Jocelyn Wade, Nathan Wade's ex-wife, basically called Fonnie Willis uh, his paramour and maybe got uh, some revenge potentially in this whole situation. Fonnie Willis fired back and said, you know, she's interfering in this Trump prosecution. I mean, any and everything could happen in this case. But uh, what is it that Bradley might bring now under seal, apparently, uh, to the table that uh, we might get some answers from? So Ashley Merchant says that Terrence Bradley can testify that the relationship between Fannie Willis and Nathan Wade began much earlier than they said. So around 2019, which links up with what Robin Geerty was saying. Um, what immediately became clear when Terrence Bradley took the stand first on Thursday and then again on Friday is that he had no interest in talking. He did <laughs> not want to be there. He just looked absolutely miserable. And not only he, but attorneys for DA Willis and the prosecutor's office were objecting to every single question and, and really did not want to cede an inch um, to allow Terrence Bradley to, to offer testimony. He says anything having to do with Nathan Wade's relationships, um, including with Fonnie Willis, is something that he learned over the course of his representation of Nathan Wade as his attorney, which is why he doesn't want to um, have to speak, because of course he could be disbarred if he's found that he violated attorney-client privilege. But what was so stunning at Friday's hearing, um, the DA his office was seeking to kind of destroy his credibility as well. They mentioned that he had a sexual assault complaint filed against him by a, not only a co-worker, but also there may have been something with a former client. Uh, Terrence Bradley vehemently denied that. But because of all of this, and because he was a bit misleading about why he left the firm, Judge McAfee said, I don't know how credible you are as a witness. I don't know if I trust your definition of what attorney-client privilege is at this point. So he announced the judge that he was going to be talking to Terrence Bradley's attorneys offline to try and kind of determine what their client, where what he thinks attorney-client privilege is. If he forces Terrence Bradley to testify, that could be 
the opening of a door for these defense attorneys to, to continue to go after the DA. We'll just have to wait and see. Um, but it was certainly a shocking moment to end all of this on Friday afternoon and one none of us saw coming, certainly. I mean, has any of this been anything that you've seen coming since covering the case? I mean, this is epic levels of soap opera drama that you couldn't script. I don't even think Tyler Perry could have scripted this. And it is just twist after turn after twist. Now, I'm curious, Has it, what about the wife? What about Nathan Wade's wife? Would she have some information about whether or not she believes the relationship started earlier? Why haven't they called her as a witness? Or is the fact that now this divorce has been settled, at least in agreement, kind of left her uh, without anybody being able to talk to her about it? I think it's a little unclear at this point. As you mentioned, there was a temporary settlement agreement that was reached. Um, maybe she just wants to put all of this behind her, um, you know, get her money and, and walk away and begin her life anew. Um, one of the defense attorneys did mention potentially calling her to come offer testimony, but I'm sure if she were to do that, that could jeopardize this temporary divorce agreement that they were able to reach. So I'm not exactly sure what Joyce Lynn Wade's uh, calculus is going to be, but that is a dynamic to watch. And remember, she is the one who released these credit card statements recently that, that offered that proof to indeed back up initially that Nathan Wade was in a relationship with Fonnie Willis and taking her on these trips. So you're so right. This has become drama that I think if I were to see in a movie, I think I would roll my eyes. I never would I have thought when this indictment was announced in August and I was spending all this time learning about the ins and outs of Georgia election law (laughs) that we would end up here. (laughs) Well, if you're just joining us, I'm Tanya Pendleton. This is Reality Check. And we're talking to to Tamar Hellerman, who is the senior uh, reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. She has been in the courtroom during these hearings to determine whether or not uh, Georgia or Fulton County DA Fonnie Willis will be able to continue her prosecution of the Trump Georgia election fraud case. But I mean, so much has happened in the interim that it's hard to know. Now, uh, it would seem, though, that if these trips were taken between 2022 and 2023, that that does lend some credence to the fact that this is when their relationship started because they weren't taking these trips in 2019, unless that's also working against them by saying, well, now he had the money to pay for these trips. Yeah. And I mean, some some interesting details came out during the hearing that we didn't know, for example, that Nathan Wade was battling cancer in 2020 and 2021, that Fonnie Willis was living with, you know, an elderly father who had to be extremely careful about his exposure during the the most intense days of the COVID pandemic. So that might speak to to some of it. Of course, they say didn't matter. They weren't in a relationship until 2022. We also learned about one of Fonnie Willis's other boyfriends uh, who she was dating in 2019 when her uh, father first moved in with her, um, which just makes me laugh. She had a boyfriend named Deuce, apparently, who was a DJ on the weekends. Just some of the other just weird little details that have emerged as as part of all of this. Well, you know, from us looking at this, uh, from the outside looking in, I mean, has Fonnie Willis been a, a, a district attorney that people liked? I mean, she was elected to this position. This is not something that she was appointed to. She was elected to it. And so obviously she has some supporters in the community. Is, is this a surprise to people that all of this has happened based on her public uh, de- decorum before all of this? 
Yes, very much a surprise. She was elected in 2020 with more than 70% of the vote over her predecessor, a man named Paul Howard, who had been in that position for almost 25 years, her former boss, her former mentor, but he had been deeply damaged um, by some uh, ethical problems, some questions about sexual assault, some lawsuits that had been filed against him. So she was able to really capitalize off that and say, you know, I'm not going to be problematic like that. And so she had an overwhelming um, mandate kind of walking through the door. Um, and overall, nothing, anything approaching this has, has come up to, to question her judgment in this particular way. She's made some enemies, of course, who say that she shouldn't be spending the resources of her office going after um, these Trump defendants. Why not let the Justice Department take care of it? I've heard a lot. Some people are critical of her separate racketeering prosecution of Young Slime Life, the record label and alleged criminal gang involving the rapper Young Thug. Um, so there, there's been critics of, of that who say she should be focused on fighting violent crime. Why worry on these, about these sexy, very complicated racketeering cases? But overall, nothing approaching this level of um, backlash over something like this. And even some of the DA's closest allies have been very quiet in recent weeks, first just waiting for the DA to respond to this. She took Her office took more than three weeks to respond initially after these allegations first came to light. Um, but since these hearings have happened, and especially given the very nasty personal, uh, you know, a lot of these nasty details that have come out, a lot of Democrats have finally started to come out of the woodwork and defend her and say, this is meant to be a sideshow and it's political. It's not legal. Um, she didn't do anything wrong. Let's move on. Uh, I mean, and also in terms of the YSL case, I'm familiar with some of the details on that. I would say that that is fighting violent crime, given all the allegations in that case, which involves, as you said, the rapper Young Thug and a host of other defendants. Uh, so uh, prosecuting that wouldn't seem to uh, preclude fighting violent crime. It would seem to be part of fighting <laughs> violent crime. What happens next tomorrow? <laughs> Where do we go from here? Well, a couple different things to watch out for. The first is any sort of schedule that the judge may lay out going forward. You mentioned that he's done taking evidence, but that he'll schedule some sort of hearing for closing arguments in the case in which attorneys are going to try and connect some dots and show this is how this proves that either there was a giant ethical conflict that's worth disqualifying the DA or why the DA would say, this is just a sideshow, nothing to see here. Let's move on. So that's that's a dynamic to watch for. Um the standard for the judge in terms of, of how he might determine whether she should be disqualified, there's a big question there. Um, a lot of attorneys I talk to say there needs to be an actual conflict of interest. They need to prove that the DA has an untoward financial benefit by continuing this prosecution. But the judge also mentioned the appearance of conflict could be enough. And there's some people who say prosecutors, given their awesome power to act on behalf of the state, should be above reproach. So it'll be interesting to see what standard the judge, the judge uses in all of this. The other things to watch out for um, in early March is the deadline for applying to be a candidate in Georgia. And that's when any potential political opponents to the DA are going to have to show themselves to the world. Not a lot of time if you don't like the DA and want to mount a credible campaign. Um, so that's something to be on the lookout for as well. And of course, the political pressure, not only from people like Donald Trump on the campaign trail, but even in the Georgia legislature here, which is led by Republicans, they recently launched a committee in the state Senate designed to investigate this relationship that has subpoena power. You know, they're going to be 
holding hearings to try and dig up more embarrassing dirt on the DA. So that's something to also watch for here. Well, Tamara Hellerman, you have a great deal to uh, work with there in terms of your reporting, and we will have to have you back on uh, once these things unfold. We think uh, there'll be a hearing next Friday, and hopefully some things will be decided by then, and we'll just see how it goes It's the, as the trial turns, I guess. <laughs> Thank you so much for being with us on Reality Check today. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Tanya. You've been listening to Word Radio On Demand. Listen live at 96.1 FM, 900 AM, and online at wordradio.com. 